You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I would encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and look with me at 1 Kings chapter 12 this morning. I don't know if you follow with the, the loop. If you're not on our loop, you ought to be on the loop. Just, we try to keep people informed that way. And I asked our congregation, if they would this week, to prepare for this morning by reading 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, and then for tonight, looking at James chapter 4. <clears throat> I think it's important because sometimes we come into worship and we come cold. Right? We're up late on Saturday. We're on a fight in our way into church. Right? We come through the doors, and there was no thought or time, or preparation for our hearts to come anticipating the Word of God. <clears throat> so I pray this morning that you took some time to look at the Scripture. And if you did look at the Scripture, then you know from chapter 11 that Solomon has blown it. Sad, tragic story. The one who began with Solomon loving the Lord ends with Solomon loving many strange women. His heart is rent or wrestled away from the Lord. Rest is the word I was looking for, actually. W-R-E-S-T. I think that's the word I wanted. So Solomon has blown it. And God said to Solomon, because of this, the kingdom is now rent from you. And then we're introduced in chapter 11 to a man named Jeroboam. And the Bible makes it clear that he worked for Solomon. He was a man of valor, it says, and a man who was industrious, and a man who had an affinity for fancy jackets. He loved snazzy new jackets. And while he was leaving Jerusalem one day after Solomon's debacle, the prophet Ahijah finds him and says, listen, nice coat, let me see it. He takes it and rips it into 12 pieces. I can't imagine that Jeroboam is happy with that event. But the prophet is kind and gives him back 10 pieces of his garment and says, The kingdom of Solomon is taken from him, and you will have ten tribes to rule over in Israel. Well, Solomon hears word of this, and of course he's not happy. As a matter of fact, he wants to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam flees down to Egypt where he's safe, and we come to chapter 12 now this morning. At verse 1, Solomon is gone, and now all of Israel comes to Shechem, to anoint his son, Rehoboam, as king. Look with me, if you would, at verse number one. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they, Israel, sent and called him, And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. And so before we hear this conversation, they have, understand that what the congregation says next, we've got to think through that because they come with an agenda, right? Jeroboam was already told that, listen, 10 of the tribes will be yours, the kingdom will be split up, and yet they come to Rehoboam on this this time for him to be anointed. And here's what they say in verse number 4. Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter 
Now watch this. And we will serve you. So here is Rehoboam, Solomon's son, next in line. All of Israel comes at his uh, uh, anointing as king. And they say, listen, your daddy, the taxes were unbelievable. The service we had to do was heavy. It was grievous. It was a burden. We're asking you for one thing. Make it lighter. Relieve us. Make a concession here. And we will serve thee. Now, I want you to notice what wasn't said. And sometimes we read over these things, and we we sort of miss what's not said. Solomon had just finished a 40-year reign. And they never mentioned peace and prosperity. Never. And when we read 1 Kings 4, as we worked our way through the story, the Bible tells us that all of Israel was eating, drinking, and making merry. And every man dwelt under his own fig, tree, and vine. There was peace and prosperity, and yet after 40 years of this, they never mention it. Isn't that human nature? I mean, the good things that we experience over a long period of time, the first time something bad happens that we perceive as bad, all the goodness is gone. You've certainly experienced that. Maybe you've loaned money to someone. And they were happy to get it. And then they asked you for some more, and you gave it to them, and they were happy to get it. And the next time they asked, you didn't give it to them, and now you're a villain. Right? Ever happened to you? Yeah. Somebody in this church? Okay, good. Deal with them this morning. Happens in churches all the time. People come, and they love the church, and they get from the church, and the church is kind and gracious. And the minute that the well dries up, All the goodness is forgotten. So they never mention peace and prosperity. And then they never mention what I think is the real problem. Of all of the things that they're grieved over, the biggest complaint they have is civil. It's the government. It's the taxes. It's our money. It's the service. It's this hard yoke you've put upon us. And they never mention what I believe is the real problem, that idolatry was all over the land because of Solomon. Now there are high places in Jerusalem, to Chemosh, to Astroth, to Molech. And the landscape of Israel is changing. The king, Solomon, was bringing in false gods for them to worship. And it is never mentioned by these people. This might be a good time for us just to prod our own minds and our own hearts this morning and ask ourselves some questions as citizens of this nation. I think this morning that we ought to be thankful for the peace and prosperity that we have. You know, last week, 80 Nigerian Christians were butchered to death. And three of their churches were burned to the ground because they believe this morning what you believe. Happens in Egypt, happens in Pakistan, happens in Iran, Iraq, Sudan, all over the place. Today in our world, believers do not have peace. They do not have prosperity. They run for their life. They're tortured, imprisoned, and killed. And we ought to be thankful this morning for what we have while we have it. And I would say this this morning. I I am thankful for the government we have. 
and the men and women who serve, I am thankful for those things. But I wonder this morning, what boils our blood as citizens of this nation? Is it taxation? Is it the union? Is it our retirement funds? Is it the opposition party that really gets our blood boiling this morning? I'm fearful that we are like the children of Israel who the civil problems are more important, the money problems are more important than the moral problems that we face today. We are living in a culture of death, destruction, and debauchery. Today, in southern Ontario, fentanyl now is the leading cause of opioid death in Ontario. We got young kids taking it one time and dying. And they're mixing in everything, and you don't know what you're getting. All of a sudden, you stop breathing, and you're gone. It's happening all over the place. A culture of death, a culture of debauchery. Our school system, in first, in grade one, six years old, you know what we're teaching them? Not reading, not arithmetic, none of that. We're teaching them at grade six sexual consent. Can I tell you, at, at, I said grade six, I'm at age six, grade one. At six years old, I had no idea what sex was. None. I thought I was Spider-Man. Right? We get to grade three. What's grade three? Eight years old, maybe nine. And now we teach same-sex attraction. And it gets worse from there. And I won't even discuss grade 7. Christian, we are living in a world of death. A philosophy of death, destruction, and debauchery. Our idea of the elderly is changing. And of the unborn. You know, I'm sure you know, but the summer jobs program has been in the news quite a bit. Federal government tells us now that if we do not check the box that we affirm with their belief of safe and legal abortions on demand, that we will no longer be funded by our government. We have used the summer jobs program. We've used it for years. It's been a great benefit and blessing to our kids through the summer. But I have to tell you something. The government is not going to dictate to us our morality. It just isn't going to do it at all. We are respectful. We are loving. We are kind to people with different ideas. We do it all the time. But we are not going to be made to condone that behavior ever. And so we serve King Jesus, not Caesar. We ain't signing your box. Right? We're just not going to do that. And here's my fear. That as believers today, we are more bent out of shape about our retirement program and the opposition and our politics and money, and we never think about the moral issues that we're facing. And let me just, while we're all feeling real comfortable about we're on the same team now, listen to me. What about the evil of our own hearts? The line that runs through this heart that is evil and base and corrupt and depraved. 
And we never once give that any thought, but we get all bent out of shape about everything else around us. And I just wonder this morning if God's people would be more upset about the moral failures of our nation and as a church than money matters. We live in a world today where men and women and young people are lost, are confused, are without hope, who do not know Jesus Christ, who left in that state will die lost forever. And I have a hunch that if we as God's people would weep and be concerned about this more than anything else, maybe, just maybe, some things would change. Oh Lord, forgive us. These people in Israel, it's like, hey, this is our big beef, Solomon. Change the tax code and we'll serve you forever. And I say, we got bigger fish to fry than the tax code. So, that was free. That was that wasn't even part of the message. That, that was all free. Okay? Verse 4. You, if you make some concessions, make it a little lighter, we can keep this kingdom together. And I don't know if they were serious about that or not, but that's what they said. Solomon, not Rehoboam, if you change some of Solomon's practices, we can keep this thing together. Verse number five. He says, all right, depart yet for three days, and then come again to me. And the people departed. Verse number six. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived. Now listen. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure here when it says old men, what their age was. But here's what I know. It was not 49. Whatever. It was older than 49. It's probably 50, but it was not 49. So he goes to the old men, the guys who stood before his father. And he says there, um, verse 6, How do you advise uh, that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If you will be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. That's really good advice. The old men say to Rehoboam, Listen, if, if you make some concessions and you serve these people, which, by the way, can I help you with something? Biblically, leadership is always service. Right? When the Bible talks about leadership, whether the home, the church, the community, or the kingdom, what it means is that as a leader, I am going to give myself for the betterment of other people. And so the old men say, listen, if you'll serve these people, if you'll say some nice things to them, they will be your servants forever. And we can hold this kingdom together. That's what we can do. So he gets their advice. Verse number 8. And the narrator helps us here. He already tells us where Rehoboam is going. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did lay upon us lighter? And the young men, which, by the way, it's interesting. Verse 9, he, he, gives, he, he plays his hand, right? He lays his cards on the table. He says in verse 9, that we may answer. He's already identified with the young guys. This, this, how, how are we going to answer? 
Here's verse 10. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loin. That's a weird phrase. And the truth is, I'm not sure what they're saying there, but I think if I know young men in the bravado, I think this is a crude one-liner. That's what I think they're saying. Ah! You tell them this. This will put them in their place. You can figure that out for yourself. But in case you're not sure what they're saying, look at verse number 11. And now whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. And he says, okay, listen to me. Here's what you need to do, the young guys say. You tell them, don't trifle with me. I'm going to rule with an iron fist. I'm going to tell you to jump, and you're going to say how high. My father chastened you with whips, but I'm going to do it with scorpions, which is literally scourges, many whips. And here's the truth of the matter. These young guys, this is how they thought the kingdom would be held together. They didn't want the kingdom divided. They wanted it held together. But they believed this was the way to do it. Verse number 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly, and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him, and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, also I will add to your yoke. My father also chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you or chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his sayings, which the Lord spake by Hijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And here's the fallout, verse 16. So when all Israel saw that that the king hearkened not unto them, The people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we any inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, David. So Israel departed unto their own tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. And this is the story. Okay, so, before we continue... And it's been kind of heavy so far, so let's lighten it up a little bit, all right? If you and I, which we did, just finished this story, or if you were reading this story to your children or your grandchildren or a Sunday school class, or you were teaching or preaching, from what we just saw and heard and this interaction that took place, what applications might we make from our text this morning? You, just, you saw this thing played out in front of you now, and I'm asking What kind of application for us today would we make, be tempted to make, out of this text? Any ideas? What are some applications, some lessons? Dave? Ah, so listen to the old people, right? I mean, that makes sense. Not not that you're 49, you're safe. but, But yeah, okay, here's an application that you should listen to those who are older and wiser. The truth is, the Bible has much to say about getting wisdom from the gray-headed ones. People who have done life, who have experience, right? The idea of there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And, and it was so funny. I was reading this week um, a little thing on Spurgeon. And uh, 
they talked about, and I didn't know they used this word back then, but they, they said old fogeyness. Remember old fogey? The old fogies? Do people say that anymore? We said it as kids, ah, you're an old fogey. This is the idea. Like, the young say, oh, you're an old fogey. I'm not listening to you. And, and here's, we get mad because they're doing to us what we did to them. You listen to your parents when you're growing up? Usually not. You're smarter. You got it all covered, right? Listen, little hint here. Life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Let somebody else make them and learn from them. That's wisdom. And that's true. We could say, listen, there's wisdom in seeking the advice of those that are older. All right? What's another application we might make? Anything else, Pastor Dan? The importance of humility and leadership. And the fact is we've been talking much about this idea of pride and how God will not deal with those who are full of pride and arrogancy, that he will abase those who are full of pride, especially in leadership positions, homes, churches, communities, governments. Right? The Bible has much to say about this idea of pride, and we see it in Rehoboam's life. Don't tell me, I will tell you. Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And that's certainly a lesson. Eric? Oh, absolutely. It's there. I mean, you see it. And we've just mentioned that this morning. The battle that's taking place between right and wrong, it's an ongoing battle. And it's not just out there, it's in here. Any other applications? Anything else? You've done really well. The more you talk, the less I do, so it's, it's to your advantage. How about this one? How about peer pressure? Can I tell you something? Peer pressure is not just a kid problem. It's a problem for all of us. And listen to me. Who your friends are, you will become. If you're friends with a gossiper this morning, you will be a gossiper. If you're friends with someone who's critical, guess what happens after a while? You become critical. That's not just for kids. That's for adults. And the Bible has much to say about this, right? Evil communications, right? Company corrupts good manners. A companion of fools will be destroyed. Now listen, all of these truths are right, and these lessons are there. You could certainly make that application, and we would certainly back all of those up by the word of God. But now listen to me. If I came in this morning and said, Hey, the weirdest thing happened last night. I went into the kitchen, and in the kitchen, at the sink, there was a zebra washing my dishes. What words should I focus on? Kitchen, sink, or dishes? Zebra. Right? It's black and white, right? Get it black and white, zebra? <laughs> okay, don't boo. Just don't, just don't laugh. Just don't boo. It's rude. Right? Because it's obvious that the real issue there is not the dishes, not the sink, not the kitchen. There's something strange with this animal doing the dishes. Now, listen to me. In Bible narrative, it's the same way. The writer here is going to clearly tell us what the real problem is and what the issue is. And we would be foolish to ignore it. Look with me again, if you would, at verse number 15. And, and we need to see this. Because all of those truths are great, and we could talk about those things, but that's not what the text is telling us this morning. Verse 15 says, Therefore the king hearkened not unto the people, because peer pressure, pride, poor listening skills. No. No. That's, that's not why. That's not the main 
reason. Here's the main reason. For the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. What he says there is, don't miss the zebra. The cause, the, tw- the word literally is the providential turn, the twist behind all of this. Listen to me. In this story, everyone is trying to keep this kingdom together. Everybody. If we, if we believe what Israel said, you lighten the load and we'll serve you forever. The old man said, be kind, make concessions, they'll serve you forever. The young guy said, do this, rule with it, get respect, and they'll serve you forever. And God says, no, no. Rage, compete, do what you want. But the division of the kingdom is the end that the Lord had in mind for the whole affair. And how did he bring it about? It was the cause, the twist, the providential turn that the Lord used to bring about his word. Oh, we see it in Rehoboam, don't we? He's arrogant, cocky, stupid, really stupid. This is, he continues to make dumb decisions. You'll see it as you keep on reading. Full of pride. But I want you to know something in this story. God does not violate his free decision or choice. He doesn't. It came about, that decision came about through freedom. This is what Rehoboam wanted to do, and the Lord already knew about it. He was was not surprised at all. God allowed the people to scheme, rage, and to confront, to plan, to try to keep it together, and yet all of God's purposes were accomplished. Now listen, if you're ever in the Word of God, this is not new to you. Let me read some verses this morning, and I, and I hope this helps you. And I have to tell you, right off the bat, um, we're talking this morning about big, big truth. And truth that we've got to wrestle through, but I believe truth that as we try to appreciate it can change our lives. Right? Listen to this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter speaking here. And here's what he says. Ye men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him, now watch, being determined or delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter says, listen, Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel of the Lord, and what he determined to happen would happen. You killed him, you're responsible, but God knew all about it. Peter goes on, Acts chapter 3, verse 13. This is a longer thing, but he starts preaching after a man is healed. And he says, The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up. And you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you. And you killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead. And he goes on. Let's jump down to verse number 17. And now, brethren... I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. 
But these things which God before had showed by the mouth of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. And he says, you did this, you acted, you rejected, you denied, you killed, but listen to me. God, through the words of the prophets, thousands of years before this, said this would happen. And then finally, Peter again, you think this might be on Peter's mind a little bit, Acts chapter 4, verse 27, For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. I want to talk to you this morning in closing about the sovereignty and the providence of God and how it ought to change our lives this morning where we live. Not just some head knowledge of some doctrine, but to change our life. Men and women make choices. They're not violated in those choices or decisions. They are completely responsible, and yet God's plan comes to fruition every single time. And that's the story of our story this morning. Do not miss the zebra for the dishes and the sink and the kitchen. He said, this came about, the cause was from the Lord, that his word might be fulfilled. So, three thoughts this morning. Number one, I want us to see this morning how sovereign is his power. The God that we serve today, how sovereign is his power. Listen how Daniel describes it in Daniel 2.20. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removes kings, he sets up kings, he giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth in him. What is Daniel saying? Daniel is saying, this is our God. He is bigger than we can imagine. He is sovereign. He is the creator, the ruler, the sustainer, the ordainer of all things. This is the God that we serve. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is the one who reigns. And this morning, as it seems as if our world is spiraling out of control, there is a God in heaven who knows all about it, and he is ruling and reigning in the midst of all of it this morning. All of it. Do you understand what a great comfort that is for the believer today? This is not out of control. When people rage and scheme and plan and think they will manipulate, our God reigns. We can trust that this morning. And there's a beauty in his sovereign power. It humbles us when we succeed. This morning, if you feel you are successful, if you feel like you've been blessed, if you feel like you've got it all together, if you feel like I'm nailing it with that, if you've got money in the bank, if you've got peace and prosperity, if you've got health, if you've got gifts, if you've got wisdom, if you have ministry tools that you can use, can I tell you something? The reason you have them is because God reigns. And you did nothing for them. This should sink into you. Listen to me. And this was, I was reading a little bit from John Favell, an old Puritan, who saw about Providence, and it just struck me about, I had no say in where I was born. 
None. What time in history I was born? None. The parents I was born to? None. The nation I live in? None. It's all from his hands. And that should blow our minds. And it should help us when we get arrogant about, look at what I've done, look at the name on my back, my jersey. No, 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 no. How are you boasting in something that was given to you? It should help us or humble us when we succeed, but it should, it should help us when we suffer. Listen to this quote by David Platt. He says, the sovereignty of God is the only foundation for worship in the midst of tragedy. This morning, how sovereign is his power? When I suffer and when you suffer, God is not caught off guard by that. He knows all about it. And listen, I'm not making light of anyone's suffering. There are people in our church, you have suffered. You have suffered in unbelievable ways. But can I tell you something? What helps us is to know that the sovereign God knows all about it. And for his people, he promises to work those things for good to them that love him. And the older I get as I view my life and having trouble as a kid, broken homes, broken families, having things to work through as a young adult with our kids and all the struggles. You know now, I look back to my life and I can't believe the glory and the grace and the beauty of the sovereign power of God. And at the time, don't like it. Would rather not. I'll skip this part. But God says, no, I am doing something in your life that you may not know. You may not understand. You may not see it now. But it is ultimately for my glory and for your good. And we should just praise him for it. How sovereign is his power. Number two, how supernatural or mysterious his influence. We are free to make choices, and we freely make choices, and yet our God in his kindness overrules. <laughs> I've made some dumb choices in my life. But the God of heaven mysteriously, he influences, he reigns. How many times in the Bible have we seen this? Here are Joseph's brothers. And Joseph is not wise telling them, hey, let me tell you about the dream. You're all going to bow down to me. What? what sibling wants to hear their baby, the baby of the family saying, you're going to serve me someday? Nobody. What does the Bible say? It says, he meant, they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And God used, and listen to me, there is no prince of Egypt under Pharaoh for Joseph if there is no pit, if there is no prison, if there is no false accusation. It does not happen. We see his influence. How about Mordecai, right? Haman wants to kill him. Haman's got a plan. I'm going to hang that Jew on the gallows. I'll show him. And what does God do? He works it out. And what gets what happens? Mordecai's not hanging on the gallows. Haman and all his kids are hanging on the gallows. How'd that happen? God's influence. It's mysterious. He does it over and over again. They want to crush Christ. And they believe that, that hanging him on a cross, a criminal's death, will completely finish him. And little did they know, it was the start of glory for him and our salvation. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. His supernatural 
influence in our lives. And so be careful, my dear brother and sister. Do not put this God of heaven in your comfy, cozy little theological box because he ain't going there. He doesn't fit there. He is not like us. He is the Lord, the God of heaven, who reigns. And his ways are mysterious. Too much ink has been spilled on this topic. We should just sit back and glory and stand in awe of the God that we serve this morning. Have you not seen his providence in your life? Can you just take a second to think about where you are today and how you got there and what took place to get you there? That was your father. We make decisions. We make choices. God is not surprised. This morning, God was not surprised at the, the arrogance of Rehoboam. He's not surprised at the arrogance of Rich Ressler. He doesn't say, oy vey, I never saw that coming. He doesn't say that. I don't think he uses Jewish language anyways. I'm not sure what he does. Maybe he does. I don't know. But think about this. If this is our God, how sovereign his power, how supernatural his influence, then let me ask you this question this morning. Then who in the world could be against us? If this is true, and it is true, then what could be against us? And the answer is, if you're not following me right now, is nothing. What can separate us from the love of God? Go through the list. Life, death, angels, principality, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature. Nothing. Why? Because of our sovereign God. How sovereign is our God? How supernatural, mysterious are his influences? And finally this morning, how sure is his word? His word. Everyone in the story is trying to counteract God's word. Israel says, hey, lighten the load. We'll keep this thing together. The old men say, speak nice, serve, hold this thing together. The young guys say, rule the iron fist. We'll hold this thing together. And God says, no, I already told Solomon what's going down. The kingdom will be divided. His word is sure. We won't look this morning, but I know you're familiar with Psalm chapter 2, where it talks about the heathen rage, and they plan this plot against God and the Gentiles, and, 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 the, and actually Acts talks about the same thing, where they have all these plans, and they rage against the God of heaven, and, and Psalm 2 says, and the God who sits in heaven will laugh. He will laugh. Why? Because his word is sure. Listen to me this morning. The word of God is sure. You and I will not counteract it. Ever. Ever. And so, when the Bible says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish, what that means is, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. His word is true for damnation. His word is true for salvation. You cannot get away from it. I know we live in a world where that's not popular to say that Jesus Christ is the only way, but I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. And we will not counteract his word. You are not making this morning to heaven because you're Baptist, you're Catholic, you're religious, you're doing the best you can, you're following. No! Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. His word is sure. Um, Be careful. We, We say, well, that's so exclusive. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? Let me read a quote for you this morning. And it's a long quote, but it should be up there. Okay, I I know long quotes, sometimes you're lost in all that. It's on the wall. 
But I really want you to listen to this quote because I think it's going to help us as we finish off and make this point. This is from David Gooding. He says this. Of all the great founders of religion, Christ is the only one who will come alongside us claiming to be our creator incarnate, come to deal with the problem of the guilt of our sin by means of his sacrifice on the cross so that we can receive forgiveness and, and peace with God. Now listen. To ask why we must think that Christ is the only way to God is to miss the point completely. For Christ does not, in that sense, compete with anyone for the simple reason that no one else claims to deal with this fundamental problem. Now, this is the end of it. Now, listen. He is the only one in the running. How can it be narrow-minded or arrogant to accept from Christ which no one else is offering? You get that? It is not arrogant to say Christ is the only one who can save you because it is Jesus Christ, the only one who died for you, the only one who shed his blood for you, the only one that makes the offer of redemption and reconciliation through his life and through his death and through the work of Calvary. There is no one else in the running. Nobody. It is Jesus, only Jesus. And we glory in that this morning. And Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come. So listen to me. God is how sovereign his power, how supernatural his influence, and how sure his word is. Salvation, damnation, but listen to me. In every facet of our lives. Believer, if this is true, that his word is sure, then we ought to submit to it. The Bible has already told us how to live this life. Do you know that? Everything you need for life and godliness is found in this book. And so the Bible tells us how to live with our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. It tells wives to respect their husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Children, obey your parents. Parents, bring up your kids in the nurture and admission of the Lord. It tells us as a church how to get along. How to repent, ask for forgiveness, seek reconciliation. It tells us all of those things. And we are foolish this morning to think that we are the exception or that we will counteract God's word. We cannot do it. It is sure. If you want to know this morning as a believer how to flourish in this life, you already have the answer in this book. It's here. And so, may we leave this place. Don't miss the zebra. It wasn't. Yes, God used the pride and the peer pressure and, um, and, and the poor listening skills and whatever we said. He, all, yes. But the cause and the twist was from the Lord so that his word would be fulfilled. And maybe this morning, wherever we find ourselves, wherever your situation is today, understand how sovereign is his power. I'm going to leave here knowing, I already know, that God reigns. <laughs> My God reigns. He's in control. How supernatural is influence. Take some time today and this week to think about where you are today, how God has spared your life, how he gave you the gospel, how you've heard all those things. That's from him. And how sure his word. If his word is sure this morning, then you and I ought to submit to it, believe it, and do it. Let's have a word of prayer.